they're very definitive that if you put in say five hectares of catch crop you must also put, have a five hectare lieback area as well and that lieback must be grassland and it must be available to the animals at all times so you can't shut them in onto the catch crop and let them out onto the grassland another time they must have access to that grassland all the time reports of yields are mixed from very disappointing to pleasantly surprised however the average yields across most farms are a long ways from last year's highs many farmers now want to forget about this year and others are certainly thinking about next year and making plans for harvest 2024 you're listening to the latest episode of the tillage edge with me michael hennessy we would really appreciate it if you could listen follow and give us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm delighted today to be joined again by Shay Phelan, a tillage specialist in Chagas, to chat about some of the rule changes which may benefit farmers but also catch some out this year, and also about oilseed rape as the planting season is upon us now. Shay, straw has been baled over the last number of years, some that have been on the ground for over a month or more. However, there are a number of farmers who are deciding maybe to switch fields or change fields as part of the straw incorporation measure, the department. What are the rules that farmers need to be aware of in terms of swapping and changing fields as part of the same scheme, Shay? There's, it's, it's quite simple, actually, in that if they want to change from one field to the other, they, they can do still at this stage. Um, but I suppose, crucially, that the fields that they swap must be uh, at least the same size or greater than the size of the parcel that they've already submitted earlier on in the year. Um, and I suppose the other thing, just to be aware of that, that um, they won't get any more payment. So if you swap a six hectare field and put in a six hectare field now for a five hectare field, you can do it, but you'll only get paid for the five hectares that you originally claimed um, back in May. So they can do it, but just there's that um, there's that crucial sort of um, a rule around it. And on the other side of that, can a farmer, if they decide that, God, there wasn't a whole lot of straw here at all, and I need a bit more straw for myself or to sell, if indeed, uh, can they withdraw altogether from that same scheme at this stage? It's my understanding they can, but um, there will be penalties probably on that. So whatever they withdraw, they'll 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 lose that payment, obviously, on that. So, um, yes, they can, but um, they just have to be careful of that, you know. Okay. And can a farmer complete that themselves in terms of informing the department of their their choice to change to different fields or to indeed withdraw? Yeah, they can do it themselves or they can do get their agent to do it. But there's an email there that they can send in the details to. It's sim at agriculture.gov.ie. Um, and if they email in the details to, to that email address, uh, they can facilitate the change from one field to the other by doing that. So the farmer would need, need need to give their herd number, the fields that were submitted and exactly. the fields that they want to change to and the reasons for doing that. Exactly. Give all those details and they'll be able to do it then, yes. Okay, perfect. Well, look, that makes it relatively simple for farmers to do that. I suppose the, 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 the next step that, that a lot of farmers are already thinking about now is the straws, you know, being gathered off the fields and um, they're probably thinking about the next crop. Uh, which could either be, um, and we'll come back to oilseed rape in a few minutes, but it could also be catch crops as well. So just in terms of the catch crops, there are a few new rules around catch crops and and uh, some of those might catch out some farmers out there. You might maybe give us an idea about what these new rules entail. Yeah, it's right. You're right, Michael. There are some new rules around catch crops where they're being grazed, okay? And these are covered under GAIAC 6 of the conditionality that 
they all would have signed up to in the background when they were making their BIS applications back in, in April and May. Um, so it really only concerns them if they're if they're if they're going to graze these. It's about preventing poaching and mining soil structure. And that's what Gaiac 6 is all about. So from that point of view, the big one, I suppose, that most people have cottoned on to probably in the last couple of weeks is this whole area of a lieback. So uh, they're very definitive that if you put in, say, five hectares of catch crop, you must also put have a five hectare lieback area as well. And that lieback must be grassland and it must be available to the animals at all times. So you can't shut them in onto the catch crop and let them out onto the grassland another time. The catch, they must have access to that grassland. Well, essentially, all the time. A, 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 essentially, an adjoining field, Jay. Yes, adjoining field. It's not a field that's a kilometre away. It's an adjoining field, so they must have access to that. And I suppose that's a crucial one for most most tillage farmers because you know if you have a if you have a tillage farmer who's a, a, a specialist tillage farmer, most of them don't have grassland. So for those people who are taking in animals or taking in livestock over the winter months, um, this is certainly something that's that's not going to be available to them uh, this year. Um, the other issues that are there as well, for those that must leave a vegetative strip of at least three metres around external boundaries that don't touch a water course. So hedgerows, um, walls, fences, they must leave a three metre boundary around those. But where you have a water, a water feature, uh, whether that be a stream or a river or a lake or whatever it is, it must be a four metre strip and that'll have to be fenced as well, obviously. So there are a number of of um there are a number of rules regarding those catch crops that guys are thinking of putting in at the moment. So they just need to sit down and read the, some of those terms and conditions, um, unconditionality, it's GAIAC six, um, uh, and see what how they affect them. And I suppose one of the things they should be looking at in that, and uh, it it declares it very, very well in terms of um, what the rules and stipulations will be. It tells the farmer actually on the booklet what a farmer will inspect for. So the farmer will inspect for, you know, evidence that the, that the fields have been overgrazed, that there's poaching or rotting on the on the fields. If they were using, say, the likes of round feeders, that they're not leaving round feeders in the same place all the time and that they're moving them around so that they're reducing the amount of poaching around uh, round, uh, round feeders. Um, and obviously then they're going to look for the, the lieback and the buffer zones. So it's, it's something that I suppose most people, well, I won't say most people, but a lot of people were unaware of up until recently uh, and they certainly need to, to, to to get familiar with these new rules and regulations if they're going to bring in livestock onto the farm. And Jay, does that just extend to the cover crops or does it extend a little bit further? It's like say a farmer had maybe beet tops that uh, might have grazed in the past. Does that that um, include that? And to the best of my knowledge, Michael, um, as far as I know, it it, it it extends to the likes of beet tops as well. So if, if I was grazing beet tops, I would be looking at trying to make sure I have a have a, a a lieback area for them as well. Um, so it's it's something that you know again probably has flown under the radar for a lot of people this year. Um, there was mention of it early on in the spring, but I think the way the year has gone, everybody has kind of forgotten about some of those new rules and regulations. So again, it does it does mention non forage crops, non grass forage crops in the in the in the terms and conditions. So to my mind, that covers the likes of bee tops, kales, all those type of things. You know. Okay, so it's certainly a, bi- a big area to watch out for there for, for many farmers. Absolutely. Just moving on a little bit then, Shay, from there, thinking about um, the other crops that are that are, that are due to go in, I suppose, over the next couple of weeks. 
And people are probably thinking about uh, oilseed rape for next year. The planting period, like I say, is probably upon us. Um, And maybe some people's decisions might be guided about, uh, you know, how the crop uh, performed this year. Was it reasonably good across the country, Shay? It was mixed, I suppose, Michael, is the best way to put it. Um, some people got on very well and were very happy with, with, with winter oilseed rape, um, and some people were less so. Now, again, we have to remember back to the autumn and, and spring and what the, the weather we've had and weather conditions we had coming up to harvest as well. So, I mean, it wasn't immune um, to all the weather conditions that we had. Some people were doing over two tonnes an acre, or five tonnes a hectare, even up to 5.5 tonnes a hectare. But yet there was more more crops in certain areas that were doing maybe between two and a half and three tonnes per hectare. So some people were were a little bit annoyed, I suppose, with, with the performance of some of those poorer crops. Um, the reason for it, or probably, probably, there's probably various different reasons for it in terms of there was probably... Some issues, I suppose, with club root, which we'll come to later on, I suppose, that there was definitely issues with, with club root out there this year. Um, there were other issues then around uh, getting close to harvest time where maybe crops were overripe and people just didn't get to cut them on time. Um, and, you know, we're hearing lots of stories about uh, stubbles being very green when people eventually got in to go and harvest them. So there was probably a bit of shatter, pod shatter and losses at the head as well. So... Uh, and and as well as that, I suppose some people have mentioned to me, and I, some of the agronomists have mentioned to me that pod sizes were pod size pod numbers weren't high in some crops, and maybe that's down to poor weather around flowering and things like that as well. So there's probably a variety of reasons why there was huge variation in in the crops this year. Okay, and it's probably look, it's 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 always a good idea for any farmer to look back on their agronomic treatment of the crop through the year in terms of um you know there was there's there's probably more use now i think shay of the likes of growth regulators now than yes. maybe there was yes. in the past and maybe people should be you know really examining is everything really contributing to to the yield or is it just uh you know is, is it contributing or or perhaps maybe even reducing it a bit so um people should really be really be thinking about what's um what's out there and what the butter actually after doing in terms exactly. of the varieties Shay, they can have a bit of an influence on um the overall yield or can they in fact um is, is there much of a difference between a lot of the varieties that are available out there and maybe is there other parameters other than yield that people should really be looking at to, as regards some of the key char- characteristics they should be picking out yeah as you say michael there's 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 a lot of a lot of factors when you go in to pick a variety and quite often we all kind of look at the varieties and we look at the yield figures first. So we'll see what's going to give us the highest yield, highest potentially, should I say, it's not a guarantee. And we work back we work back from that. And quite often, especially with, with oilseed rape, it can, there are characteristics that we really should be looking out for. So say if we take, if we take for example, the likes of light leaf spot resistance. So it's its ability to resist infection of light leaf spot can have a huge bearing on overall yield. And light leaf spot is one of those diseases that can certainly reduce yield very, very quickly if you get a bad infestation of it. And there are differences there between varieties in terms of uh, how resistant they are to it. So that's probably the first one I would look at. Another um, ag- agronomic trait that I would look at um, uh, is pod chatter resistance. And that's certainly maybe it's a knee-jerk reaction for this year, but certainly there seem to be a lot of losses on the head um, talking to farmers and, and agronomists around the country. Uh, and there are a couple of varieties there, uh, the likes of Ambassador and that have um, pod chatter resistance. So that's a trait that's 
becoming more and more common uh, in oilseed rape now, and it's certainly one that I think is 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 important. So, Shay, in terms of height or standing ability, is that? I mean, most rapes seem to stand up fairly well now. Does that make a bit bit of any difference, really? Yeah, it does, and um, I suppose the 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 overall plant height does make a difference and lodging resistance. There is a score there for lodging resistance and some of the older varieties were taller and more prone to lying over. Some of the newer varieties coming on do have better um, lodging resistance, likes of Ambassador. These things have have high um, resistance to lodging and that does does help because, you know, when crops start to lean off, you do get a kink in the stem and that does reduce the flow of nutrients up and down through the stem. So if you can prevent lodging, um, that does help as well. Yeah, I've seen a, a number of varieties like Spiralia or Auckland or some of those kind of varieties there. And they're pretty, you know, some of them can be tallish enough and use of growth regulators, certainly, as we mentioned before, seems to be able to help in that. But would nitrogen be probably the, the, the more key uh, nutrient there in terms of preventing that lodging? Absolutely, Michael. And I, I guess, uh, or I, I, I'm think, thinking that or talking to guys during the year, some people were able to get away with a lot less nitrogen this year than and other years and other growers and maybe that's down to just how they monitor the crop um we've always promoted the use of a green area index measure or measuring um in february and establishing how much nitrogen is in the crop um in february and then starting to work back from that so we've 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 had people this year who telling me that um they're growing crops for not much more than 125 or 130 kilos of nitrogen uh, and then you have other guys who are going up closer to 190 to 200 kilos of nitrogen so it depends on you know how well they've monitored the crops for the last couple of seasons i think there has been um, opportunity to save it. There hasn't doesn't seem to be as much pigeon grazing the last couple of years. Now that could be famous last words for this year, but we have to jinx it, it now, Shay. <laughs> it does it it does make a difference where pigeons are not grazing, and I think that's something that people need to be more aware of. That that nitrogen that's contained in those leaves, if it's in situ in the crop, you don't necessarily need all that nitrogen. That's that's a that's allowed to be put on, if you like, on the nitrate regulation. So uh, there are Shay, Shay, that, that circles back around to the overall planting date yes um you know if if does it matter if people slide into september or should they be trying to plant it really in the next couple of weeks i'm always one of those who would like to get it in in august if i can at all um i mean we've all had experiences of sowing oilseed rape into the middle of september sometimes it works sometimes you know you start to see more problems with grazing and, and pests and what have you so from my point of view i always like to get it in in august if i can at all especially the further north in the country you go down south i suppose if you're down on cork or wexford you do have that little bit more flexibility that you can go into into um into into september but certainly for me i'd like to have it all starting probably the end of this week or early next week i'd have like to have it all in by the end of august what sort of consideration shay would you give this year in comparison to the last number of years in terms of the soil condition out there at the moment i mean we're last year was extremely dry this year we're off the back of probably the wet of the wettest july on record soils are at that um you know the the, the water moisture holding capacity i mean they're, they're they're pretty much full of water and they're, they're actually can be wet enough out there do you think that 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 will influence people's decision in terms of of, of going earlier rather than later yeah it's, it certainly is a consideration michael and one of the things that people should be really looking at uh, with those soil conditions is that they, you do need to go into a good seed bed um so if you have issues like compaction like we're seeing this year probably for the first time in a few years 
whereby there's soil on the roads after people take out crops of wheat or barley. So there's there's definitely soil compaction issues there. Maybe surface compaction might be down too deep, but nonetheless, there's probably some there. And so those those type of soils, if there is compaction, icy rip does not like compaction. So you don't get that root penetration. You don't get the anchorage in the ground and you can get lodging afterwards and poor uptake of, of nutrients. So in those situations, especially where people are looking at reduced cultivation establishment methods, whether that be, you know, just a straight min till or direct drill or some people use a soil subsoiler type machine to put it in, they certainly need to be looking at the, the soil conditions and, and compaction if there is any there and relieving that before they start drilling. I suppose the other side of it is is that um, soils are a little bit wet if you get an awful lot of heavy rain maybe over the next week um, you know you, you'd be probably be excluded from the field very quickly I'd yeah, say given, given the conditions course. that are there will, of course, yeah. come back to the varieties and circling back to those for a second Shay there is a, you mentioned some of the, the straightforward varieties most of them are hybrids yeah. uh, I suppose with lots of those um, stacked variety characteristics in them the likes of pod shatter and light leaf spot resistance and lodging and that kind of stuff involved in it but then you have other varieties out there um you have the likes of clear field varieties what sort of what does that bring to the party they're they've kind of got a niche market if you like michael and clear field basically are varieties or hybrid varieties whereby you can use a herbicide on them um which will kill out the likes of brassica weeds so if you go in your normal um your normal varieties, like what we're talking about, likes of Ambassador Aurelia, there's there's little or no control of brassica weeds, likes of charlock, the likes of hedge mustard, runch, those type of weeds. There's no control, no herbicide control for any of those weeds in those crops. But the likes of clear field varieties, they do give you the opportunity to sow into those fields whereby you might have a heavy infestation of you know, the likes of a charlock or or other even forage we forage brassicas that are coming through and we see those as well. So it does give you that opportunity to sow into those fields. Um, I suppose the downside of it is those varieties tend to be a little bit behind in terms of overall yield. Um, so you're looking at maybe a five or a ten percent um decrease in yield for those for those varieties. But that said, um if you were to sow ordinary or, or normal sort of varieties into those fields, the losses could be a lot a lot higher from the point of view of competition from those weeds. You know, So they do offer growers that opportunity to spread the area uh, where they can actually put oil to drape into. So the special part about those then, Shay, is, is, is the weed control, but it's, but it's down to the herbicide that can that, that's used with that. What's the special herbicide that needs to be used specifically with clearfield varieties? Um, yeah, so Michael, on that you have a you have a, a herbicide there called Cleranda, which can only be used on on hybrid varieties. Okay, so and I suppose that's the thing to be careful of with this. If you put Cleranda plus plus the dash that normally goes with it, if you put that onto your onto your normal varieties, it will kill them. So we've had a couple of cases like this before, whereby people have called us out and they've put in a, a put on Cleranda onto a, a crop, and suddenly they're telling us some of the crop are dying. And what has happened there is maybe volunteers from a previous crop have grown up, and those are dying. But after a while, eventually you see the 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 clear field varieties, which are designated with a CL on the bag. Um, you'll know then that you have a clear field variety, and you see those clear field varieties coming through afterwards. You know, so it's just something to be careful. Is that a pre or post merge uh, application? Today? Can be pre or post. So most of it is up to most of it is probably post emerges from kind of expanded cotyledons up to about nine true leaves. Okay. The other issue we mentioned earlier in terms of oilseed rape is club root, and there's been, there was a lot of club root, certainly a lot more club root turned up over the last year or so than we've seen for an awful long time. 
in terms of club route, my understanding of it is, is that it's um, once it's in a field, it's in a field and it's going to be there for 20 years or more in terms of the spores. And anytime you put a, a normal brassic into it, whether that's a cover crop you mentioned before, such as a, such as the, 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 the forage rapes or, or stubble turnips or, or any of those kind of things, and indeed obviously rape as well, the club route's going to come into it. Is there anything, if a farmer has a, suspects or probably maybe has identified club root in their land and, um, but that being said, they really want to go to outside rate for that particular slot. Is there any varieties out there that can help out in that? Um, There are, Michael, there are a couple of hybrid or a couple of club root tolerant, I suppose, varieties out there. I won't say resistant, I would say tolerant. Um, so certainly you have to talk to their local merchants and see what's available in different areas there's different varieties so um, they just need to talk to whatever um, uh, whatever merchant there are in their areas and see what, what's there there are some but there's, they're not that common um, but look at if they go talk to the local merchants they should see what's there Crocodile and Chrome I think were ones that I stumbled upon there the other day and what are the yields of those like or, or I know they're being they're, they're probably you have to go to the UK for that but how did this stack up in the UK in terms of those yields? Again you're talking Michael there is a yield penalty on those so you're talking a 5 or 10% yield penalty on those so you just you just have to bear that in mind that they don't yield as well uh, as, as as other varieties so you know you, you do pay that yield penalty like any of those hybrids or any of those hybrids coming through um, it takes a couple of years for them to get get yields comparable to your your conventional varieties so i suppose look look up the if you're if you're intending to and look up the ahdb guide there there's there's a few of them um uh trial there over a number of years um and like i said the two that kind of uh, comes to my mind at least anyways chrome and crocodile and there's another one yeah there, and there's, there's a couple remember. of others as well out there yeah, that some of the other, other ones as well yeah as well have okay as well. um shay the very last question i'm going to ask you then is around the general weed control uh in 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 rape in terms of should uh, growers be going pre-emerge uh, or can they wait a little bit to post-emerge and is there I don't know is there an ideal option for farmers or is it a bit more nuanced than that I would always be in favour Michael going pre-emergence if I can at all and uh, now that comes with a couple of caveats number one is I suppose that you get into doing it in the first place but you also need to know the 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 weed spectrum of the field that you're that you're going into because I mean the herbicides that are available there there's 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 quite a few of them but there are gaps in in all of them so from that point of view um if you're going into a field and you know nothing about it um, more and more people in that scenario are tending to leave it until post emergence and see what they have and, and working way on that but certainly I I I on land that you're familiar with and that you know there's the, where the weed spectrum is, I'm inclined to go with pre-emergence. And I suppose if you look at some trial work from the UK, they can show you that, you know, it's likes of volunteer cereals, for example, which are we all know are going to come up in it. They can they can compete very well with with oilseed rape and can reduce yield, you know, a 20 cereal per square meter um, population of cereals in an oilseed rape co- crop can knock it by about 0.15 a ton per hectare. So, and you know, there are other, there are other, other other um trials showing that broadleaf weeds can knock yield by you know between five and eight percent as well. So letting those weeds grow unchecked or uncontrolled until you come in later in the season. Quite often people use the likes of an astro curb or something like that um in December and January. But quite often some of the target weeds can be very, very strong by the time you get to do that. Um so I always kind of prefer if I can at all to get in with something like catamaran turbo um pre-emergence 
it's it can be some people say it's quite expensive but look at if you if it controls the weeds that you want to control likes of cleavers fat hen poppy south thistles things like that um i think then you know it's a it's 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 good practice to get in and get those, those done early um you can always come back in and tidy up some of the the grass weeds or the volunteer cereals then post-emergence as well so i always try to get in if i can I try and get in as soon after drilling as I possibly can. Now, in some cases, that's possible. In some, isn't. Um, but there are there are options there. The likes of butysan, the likes of um, that as well, which can be which can be used as well. A rapsan, pretty much the same stuff. So there is there are options there. To that's what pretty much. Yeah. Okay, and I suppose hey, just I I I I'll finish up on this one. I suppose it's, it has been a wet, very wet July. There's probably a lot of slugs around. Um, keep an eye out on the early stages of oilseed rape uh, in terms of uh, slugs and the damage they can do kind of early on. So Shay, listen, I am going to um, I'm going to hold it up there. And listen, thanks very much for your time. Delighted you could join us again. And thanks for all that all that information. Thank you. No problem, Michael. Thanks a million. So that's it for this week, and my thanks to Shay for joining me on the show. Just to remind you, a date for your diary is again on Friday, September the 8th, when we will have the Crops Forum in the Killishee Hotel in Nace. We will cover a number of topics this year, including new varieties, agronomy for the autumn, the new macro climate change model for tillage, and also a discussion forum with the stakeholders around the future of the tillage industry. So finally, don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast, then recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, review and follow on Apple or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.